0: that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to begin this lecture this evening the fourth in our series of lectures concerning the essay of al-imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmad ibn Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmad uh, uh, ibn al rahimahullah his essay entitled لمعة Hadi الهادي إلى سبيل الرشاد Quickly, before going on to the points For this evening, we'd like to just review What we covered in the previous lecture Lecture number 4, points number 3, 4 and 5 In which Alimam Ibn al Rahimahullah mentions Some of the sayings of the early scholars, some of the imams of the early generations of the Muslims concerning the topic of uh, the tawheed of asma wa sifat, or the tawheed related to the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Here, Imam al-Qudama quotes from the Imam Abu Abdullah Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Hanbal Rahimahullah He is saying from the Prophet sallallahu Inna Allah ila samaa al dunya that Allah Descends to the heaven That is close to this world The lowest heaven And that Allah will be seen On the day of resurrection And those uh, narrations or reports from the Prophet وسلم, That were similar to them And Imam Ahmed, is quoted as saying نؤمن بها ونصدق بها لا كيف ولا معنى ولا نرد شيئا منها ونعلم أن ما جاء به الرسول حق ولا نرد على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا نصف, ولا نصف الله بأكثر مما وصف به نفسه بلا حد ولا غاية ليس كمثل شيء وهو الصمير البسير يعني هنا أمام أحمد is saying after mentioning two حديث related to the stifat of Allah that Allah descends uh, to the lowest heaven, or to the heaven of this world, on the last part of the night and that Allah will be seen on the day of the resurrection and other similar hadith Imam Ahmad says concerning this we believe in it, we believe in all such hadith that are authentic and we testify to the truthfulness of it without explaining the how of it, the kayfiya we don't say how, because only Allah knows the how of his characteristics and his actions and his qualities and without giving any meaning to it that is contrary to the obvious meaning that's understood from the Arabic language, nor do we reject anything that came to us either from the Quran or from the authentic sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and we know with certainty that what the Muslim of Allah ﷺ has come to us with, it is al-haq, it is Haqq, the truth, without a doubt. Uh, then he said we do not reject or refute anything that came to us from the Muslim of Allah ﷺ, nor do we describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with more than what he has described himself with. Yani we don't describe Allah with anything more than what He has described Himself with, or what the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah, is describing with without any limits or boundaries. Yani whatever Allah has described himself with, there are no limits to it, only boundaries to it. And it is absolute. Then Imam Ahmed quoted the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Shura, chapter forty two, verse eleven, there's nothing similar or comparable or equal to him, he is the all hearing, the all seeing. When Ahmed is quoted by, by Imam Ibn Qadamah as saying وَنَقُولُ كَمَا قَالَ And we say as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about himself وَنَصِفَهُ بِمَا وَصِفُهُ بِهِ نَفْسًا And we him with what he has described himself ذلك, And we don't go beyond that We don't go beyond Allah has described himself with even our imagination or our intellect to try to give descriptions of Allah in order to imagine how he is or what is his description But we describe him with what, what he has described himself with وَلَا يَبْلُغُهُ وَصْفُ And the descriptions of those who try to describe who try to describing will never be successful or they will never reach their goal in describing him. We believe in the whole of the Quran, all of it. Those ayats of the two types, the muhkam, that which is clear and precise and concise, which only has the possibility of one meaning, as well as the muhkam, those ayats which have the possibility of having more than one meaning or those ayats or uh, sifat or expressions that came in the Quran whose meaning is not clear to everyone I and mean, those which we may have some difficulty in understanding وَلَا مَذِيرُ anhu سِفَةً min سِفَاتِهِ min شَنَعَةٍ شُنِعَةٍ nor do we uh, remove from him or negate from him any of his characteristics due to the fact that that characteristic or that quality or that description Make Be difficult for us to accept It may be something يعني, unattractive to us And we do not Go outside of or beyond the Quran and Hadith In describing Allah ولا نعلم ولا نعلم And then he says Finally in the end of his statement Where do we know the how or the reality or the essence or the nature of Allah's sifat except the only thing we know about it is what we confirm by confirming the truthfulness of what has been brought to us by the Messenger of Allah wa sallam, and affirming what came to us in the Quran then uh, Ibn Qudamah uh, quotes another statement from one of the earliest, early scholars one of the four Imams Al-Imam Abu Abdullah also the same Kunya Imam Abu Abdullah, uh, Muhammad Ibn Idris, al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah He has the same kunya as Imam Ahmed, Abu Abdullah And his statement, which is a very important statement That we should even memorize In Arabic or in English or whatever language That we can remember it In order to uh, benefit from the meaning of this statement Of imam al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah He said, billahi." وَبِمَا جَاءَ عَنِ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ مُرَادِ اللَّهِ when I believe in Allah and what has come to us from Allah according to the meaning that was intended by Allah without any addition or subtraction or changing or alteration of what Allah intended by His words بِرَسُولِ so اللَّهِ وَبِمَا جَاءَ عَنِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عليه وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ مُرَادِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ And I also believe in the Messenger of Allah and what has been reported from the Messenger of Allah in accordance with the meaning that was intended by the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam then uh, finally al imam ibn qudamah rahimahullah in point number five quotes uh, this, uh, or mentions the statement wa'ala haza, hadha on this manhaj or methodology or way that is mentioned by al imam ahmed rahimahullah and al imam al shafi rahimahullah in this same way وعلى هذا درجة السلف يعني that the salaf the early generation of the Muslims they followed this same path وأن في الخلف as well as the imams the scholars of the later generation of Muslims also followed this path رضي الله عنهم may Allah be pleased with all of them كلهم متفقون على الإقرار والإمرار والإثبات لما ورد من السفات في كتاب الله وصنة رسوله من غير تعرض لتأويله I mean, all of the scholars from all generations of Muslims, as well as the later generations of the Muslims, all of them in agreement on these principles of al and acknowledgement or admission of what has been uh, reported to us, in through the Qur'an or authentic hadith, we acknowledge uh, those sifat, what, however they may be, whether our intellect has difficulty in accepting them, they may appear to be repulsive to us or whatever, but we acknowledge it, we, uh, uh, and we make admission to what has come to us in the Qur'an, Al imraq means to read those texts that came in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, and pass over them without making any change, interpretation, alteration to its meaning but accepting it just as it is on face value and al ithbat it means to confirm, to make confirmation or affirmation of every characteristic which came in the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi without resorting to a ta'weeel in the ta'wil, it has more than one meaning. It has a praiseworthy meaning and a blameworthy meaning. Does it mean that he, they intend here as a blameworthy meaning? That means reinterpretation with an interpretation that is not in agreement with what was intended by Allah or what was intended by the Muslim of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Whereas also ta'wil may mean tafsir or explanation. And yani the explanation or clarification of something is also called ta'wil. But the ta'wil that we mean here, it means re-explaining something uh, contrary to its obvious or apparent meaning, with a meaning that is, I mean, that wasn't intended by the speaker. The last point that we took last week, which wasn't on the handout for the last week, but it's on the handout for this week, and inshallah, when the sisters finish copying, we will bring to us point number 6. From the next chapter, the chapter which we will cover tonight, the chapter of a tarib Sunnah, an encouragement to follow or to stick to the sunnah, the tahvir min al-bidah, and warning against engaging in innovations. Here uh Qadam Rahimullah mentioned Proverbs six waqad uwirna bil iktifa iqhtida bi a tharihim, wa itidah the manarihim wahu virna al mahtaat. وَأُخْبِرُنَّا أَنَّهَا مِنَ الْضَلَالَاتِ yani that We have been ordered commanded to follow the examples in the way of those who came before us and to take them as a means of guidance and we have been warned against newly invented matters and we have been informed yani through the Qur'an as well as through the authentic sunnah of the Prophet وسلم we have been informed that all newly invented matters, matters that are contrary to the way of the Prophet وسلم and his companions and their students, the tabi'een and the imams who came after them Whatever is contrary to that, these are newly really invented things. These are things that came into the deen later, after the deen had been completed. And all of those things are blameworthy. They are dalalat. They are straight. And this is based on the saying of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, عليكم وسنة الخلفاء من So it is obligatory in you to accept or to stick and adhere to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khalifas who came after me or who come after me عَدُّ عَلَيْنَا hold or bite onto it with your molar teeth and hold to it tightly that is the sunnah and beware and be warned against newly invented matters for every newly invented matter is an innovation وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ in every innovation is going astray This is the hadith of Al-Irbad Ibn Sariya He who is recorded in a number of books of the Sunim including Sunan Abu Dawud, in the tirmidhi Ibn Majah, The Sahir Ibn Hibban and the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim Concerning that last point uh, just quickly to mention or to review the points that the shaykh mentioned Shaykh Muhammad al-Masallahu al Allah he mentioned the definition of a sunnah and the definition of bid'ah. The linguistic definition as well as the technical definition. The linguistic definition, the technical definition and the hukum or the ruling concerning sunnah and the hukum or ruling concerning bid'ah. And he said, in summary, he said that the linguistic meaning of a sunnah is at-tariqah, the way. As Sunnah, it means the Tariqah, the way of the Prophet. ﷺ. And as we mentioned previously, Sunnah has many meanings in the Arabic language and it has many technical meanings. From amongst those meanings is a Tariqah. This is one of the broadest meanings of a Sunnah, the Tariqah, the way. It means the way of the Prophet, ﷺ, everything, whether his actions, his beliefs, his manners, his character, all of it is included. In the word sunnah, according to this definition, uh, the broadest meaning of it is tariqah. Sunnah also means that which is opposite of bid'ah, innovation. And sunnah also means that which is the opposite of the fard or wajib, that which is the opposite of obligatory. And sunnah also means al-aqidah, the beliefs. It has many meanings. But the meaning here, the, te- the linguistic meaning that the Shaykh mentioned, as sunnah, means tariqah, meaning the way. The technical meaning, it means that which the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were upon The way that they traveled In aqeelah their beliefs as well as in amal in their actions And the ruling concerning sunnah is that it is obligatory It is obligatory in the Muslims to follow the sunnah Don't be confused by the meaning of sunnah the opposite of wajib or fard Sunnah means that which is not wajib or fard Means you don't have to do it No that's not what we mean here We mean sunnah Meaning the way, the example of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi and that way of the Prophet, it is obligatory for us to follow him. It is obligatory. It's not something that you have uh, an option in. Let me mention here the saying of Allah subhanahu wa taala in Surah Ahzab, uh, thirty-three or thirty-four, verse twenty-one: لا قد رسول الله حسنة. That's surely or definitely the message of Allah, the most excellent example. And also the Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, it is obligatory to follow my Sunnah. And the Sunnah al Wa'ili, the Hadiths that we already mentioned. Concerning Al Bida, he said the linguistic meaning of Al Bida is Shay Al Muhdafa Al muh Al Muht Al Muhdafa Al Muhdafa Al Muhdafa That means something that has been brought newly, Hadith, Jadeed, something new. Muhdafa This is the linguistic meaning. Bida means something which is new, but the technical meaning, it means something that is new added to the deen, it's something that has been newly added to the religion of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. and it is contrary to the way that was left by the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi and his companions, whether in beliefs or in actions, And bidah is not only in actions but it is also in beliefs and the meaning concerning bidah is that it is haram as the shaykh mentioned in Surah Misa 4 verse 115 وَمِنَّ شَاكِكِ الرَّسُولِ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيْنَ لَا حُولُ الْهُدَى وَيَتْتَبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلَ الْمُؤْمِنِينِ مِنْ مَا تَوَلَّى وَمِثْلِهِ بِهُمْمَّنْ وَسَاعَةٍ نَصِيرًا That really whoever opposes the Messiah of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, the Messiah, after the guidance has been made clear to them, whoever opposes them after the guidance has been made clear and follows a way other than, يعني, contrary to the way of believers, the way the Sahaba, then you turn to that which he turns himself and cause him to enter the hellfire and evil is it as a destination and also the thing of the Prophet صلى beware uh, of newly invented matters for every newly invented matter is an innovation and every innovation is astray and similarly, narrations and every astrayness is, is in the hellfire. Here there's a point that I didn't mention last week and this is the end of the summary. Uh, the saying of Al-Hafiz ibn Rajab, famous scholar of hadith, in his book Daniel al-Ulum wal-Hikm, which is an explanation of the 40 hadith of al Imam al-Nawi al Hafiz al-Rajab says there in his the explanation of this hadith that uh, every beware of newly invented matters can somebody take the notes from there? He said that the most difficult of those newly invented matters is speaking about the that of Allah and His sifat speaking about Allah's divine being and Allah's divine characteristics those who spoke about those things Allah's divine being and His characteristics with words or speech that the Prophet Sallallahu never used or saying things that he never said, this is the worst of innovations it's worse than the innovations in Salat and innovations in Hajj and innovations in fasting and other innovations the innovations in this matter is the worst of them all some of the people who said uh, they have denied or negated much of what has been reported in the Quran and in the Sunnah concerning the characteristics of Allah, claiming that they are trying to free Allah from any, any unfavorable or unacceptable description. So they denied what Allah described Himself with saying that this is not appropriate for Allah to be described with it. So they negated it, or they reinterpreted it, in one way or another they rejected it, while others uh, confirmed Allah's sifat, but they also made tashbih or comparison, comparing the sifat of Allah to the sifat or characteristics of His creatures. And both of these, those who negated what Allah has affirmed for Himself, as well as those who affirmed it but made comparison, they have uh, went astray. This kind of negation and this kind of comparison, uh, it was not done by the early generations of the Muslims. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa remained silent from these things he didn't negate, nor did he make comparison. So this is also a bid'ah, an innovation, and it is of the worst types of innovation should be avoided at all, costs. Uh, the points that we want to cover tonight, uh, continuing the chapter of encouragement to follow the Summa and warning against bid'ah, is point number seven, uh, eight and nine, the sayings of some of the Salaf, as Salih, the righteous predecessors of the Muslim Ummah from amongst the Sahaba from amongst the Tabi'een and from amongst the Tabi' at-Tabi'een yani the first three generations of the Muslims whom the Prophet ﷺ praised uh, and mentioned in the best light The first quotation that Imam Ibn Qudama mentioned rahimahullah, is the saying of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud r.a. the great companion of the Prophet sallallahu sallam who died in the year 32 of the Hijrah He is saying اتبعوا ولا تبتبعوا فقد كفيتم. A few words but of great great meaning. اتبعوا ولا تبتبعوا فقد كفيتم Here the statement of Abdul masud the meaning of it is follow اتبعوا اتبع means following strictly follow the sunnah without addition or subtraction وَلَا تَبْتَدِعُوا and do not innovate and yani do not bring anything new in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَقَدْ قُفِيتُمْ for there you have been sufficed and yani you have been sufficed with the perfection or completion of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the era of those who were before you and yani the deen was completed in the time of the Prophet so it is only upon us to follow The deen is already completed We must just follow what the Prophet ﷺ did and his companions We don't need to add anything to it We don't need to invent anything new We have been sufficed. The deen has been completed and the way has been made clear Nothing left for us except to follow And concerning this point Some of the relevant hadith is the saying of the Prophet ﷺ the Sunnah. This is in agreement with the statement of Abu ibn Mas'ud Follow, follow the sunnah and the sunnah of the and also the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, من رغب أن سنتي فليس Whoever is not pleased with my sunnah then he is not from me من رغب أن سنتي. Whoever has desire of something other than my sunnah and he was not satisfied or pleased with my sunnah then he is not of me So it is incumbent upon us simply to follow uh, and not to bring anything new and also in accordance with this uh is the saying of Al Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, in his book Usul Usullah Sunnah he mentioned that the fundamentals of the Sunnah with us. It means at Kamasuk Bima Ali Ashabu Rasuri Lahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa tark al bidah waqundo bidda that the fundamentals of the Sunnah with us is holding tight to that which the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wa sallam upon and taking them as examples to follow and avoiding innovation for every innovation is astray so it is simply upon us to follow and not to bring anything new the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih ibn Taymeen, considering this point says that the first of these statements, the statement of the Sahaba the statement of Abdul ibn Nasur radiallahu anhu a great companion of the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam who died in the year 32 after the Hijrah uh, when he was past 60 years old 63, 4, 5 years old, something like that. what was 15, means that he was at least 63, between 63 and 69 years old when he died. And he said, It that means hold tightly to that which was left behind by the Messenger of Allah, without adding anything to it, or taking anything from it. Wala "The betadi'u, do not invent anything new. Innovated matter in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for verily you have taqad kufetum for verily those who came before you they have uh, sufficed you in the matters of the deen since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has perfected the deen so his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he revealed his saying Yawma Akmal tulakum beenakum today I have perfected and completed my favor upon you but therefore there's no need for us to do anything to complete or to perfect the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no need for it, it is already complete and perfect. Anything that we add to it, will take away from its perfection. Uh, the next point, imam Ibn Qudlami mentioned the saying, after the saying of the Sahabi, he mentioned the saying of one of the tabi'een, one of the students of Sahaba, the great Khalifa of the Muslims, Umar Ibn Abdul Aziz, anhu, he said, قال عمر بن عبد العزيز رجل أهنه كلاما معناه ذر عمر ابن عبد العزيز said that which its meaning is as follows قف حيث وقف القوم فإنهم عن علم وقفوا وببطر ناقذ كفوا وهم على كشفها كانوا أقوى وبالفضل لو كان فيها أحرى يعني the Khalifa, you know, he was known uh, by some people, although not rightly so, but due to his great piety uh, and the effort that he made during his short period as the Khalifa of the Muslims, he was referred to by some of the historians as the fifth of the al Rashidin. But we don't say like this because the the Khalifa after the first four, he was Muawiyah. A great companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He was one of the compilers of the revelation He was the writer of the revelation for the Prophet ﷺ. In any case the Khalif Umar ibn Who died in the year 101 said uh, That which its meaning is similar to this Stop where the people have stopped Referring to the companions Referring to the Prophet ﷺ And his companions And the Tabi'un who came after them The early generation of the Muslims Stop where the people have stopped For indeed they stopped At the place where they stopped based upon knowledge. They didn't go beyond the Sunnah. Based on knowledge of the Sunnah, they knew what the Sunnah was and they didn't go beyond that. They stopped where they stopped based upon knowledge and based upon penetrating insight. They refrained from going beyond the Sunnah. They understood matters clearly and this caused them to hold back from transgressing the Sunnah and going beyond it, adding anything to it. And then he said that they the the people who came before the early generation of Muslims, they were more capable of uncovering any good or benefit and more deserving of any extra virtues or merits if it were there outside of the Sunnah. I mean if there was something outside of the Sunnah, beyond the Sunnah that was a virtue or benefit or good, then they were more capable of uncovering that thing. If they didn't do it, then who are we to come after them and then try to claim that there is something new outside of the Sunnah. They were more capable of doing it and they were more يعني, deserving of achieving that or practicing any good or any virtuous act or deed or belief or saying if there was something virtuous or beneficial يعني, extra beyond what has been left for us by the Prophet Sunnah. Then the Khalifa Umar Ibn Abdul Aziz said kultum, If you were to argue or say that this thing which we are doing, this innovation, they didn't do it because it was it came after them. It wasn't in their time. That's why they didn't do it. And then he said, فَمَا أَحْدَثَهُ إِلَّا مَنْ خَالَفَ حَدِيَهُمْ وَرَغِبَ أَنْ سُنَّتِهِمْ yani That no one would bring something new above and beyond what they brought except that he opposed their guidance, the guidance that the Salaf were upon, the companions and the tabiheen, except that they were in contradiction to that and except that they desired... Other than the way of the first generations of the Muslims, other than their sunnah and their way. For so the early generation of the Muslims, meaning the Prophet Sahaba and those who came after them, he said, "Walaqad wasafu minhu ma يَشْفِي وَتَكَلَّمُوا minhu bima yakfi." they described those matters of the Deen in a way in which it was satisfying and gratifying and sufficient. They described whatever was sufficient for us. وَتَكَلَّمُوا مِنْهُ بِمَا يَكْفِي And they also spoke about those matters of the deen which were sufficient for us. It sufficed us. There was no need for any more than what they described for us and what they spoke about. فَمَا فَوْكَهُمْ مُحَصِّرُ Whatever is above them is مُحَصِّر. It is excessiveness. Whatever is above and beyond what the early generation of Muslims left behind in their practice and their sayings and their beliefs Whoever goes beyond that above them, it is muhasir. it is excessiveness. It is no more than, whatever you do beyond them, it will only bring you tiredness, with no benefit. You will do a lot of deeds, actions, extra prayers that are not from the sunnah, you will only get tired from it, but you will get no benefit whatsoever. مقصير, and whoever is below them or less than them, then he has fallen short. And whoever left off anything of what they did, then they have fallen short from completing the Sunnah. No. Then he said, Walaykum As-Salamu Alaykum, that there were some people who came and fell short on what the early generations of the Muslims left behind. Those people, by falling short from what was left behind as the guidance, they were far away, far removed from the sunnah due to their falling short from practicing everything that they found left behind by the Prophet ﷺ and his companions and those who followed their way. And another people who went beyond them, who transgressed the limits. فغلوا, they went to the extremes, to extremism beyond the bounds. innahum When in fact the early generations of the Muslims those who follow the way of the prophet his companions and those who follow who learn from them he said that they are between these between those the muqassir and between the muhassir those who went beyond them to the extreme and those who fell short from practicing what they practiced The, the real way is between these two extremes or these two deviations they were between these two they were on guidance mustaqeen the straight and upright way Uh, here we should keep in mind of the statements of Omar bin Abdul Aziz which is of utmost importance is that whoever invented something after them they only opposed the guidance of the early generation of Muslims and sought other than their way and this is clearly rejected in the statement of the Prophet sallallahu من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو whoever brings in something new in this matter of ours in this deal of ours that is not from it it is rejected it will never be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no matter how much our intellect or our heart or our feelings tell us that it is something good whoever brings something new in this matter of ours that is not from it, it is not from the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the way of the origin of the Muslims from رده it is rejected and also the statement of the Prophet that hadith is reported by al-Bukhari muslim and the hadith reported by muslim from Aisha رَضِيَ اللَّهُ مَنْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا لَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ whoever practices any deed or action من عَمِلَ عَمَلًا, عملا. أي. any deed that is not based upon the, that which we left behind our affair that is the deen the Quran and the Sunnah but the fact is something not based upon that so it is also rejected it is not accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al concerning this statement of the tabi'i Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah he says he was the Amir al-Mu'mineen the leader of the believers who was born in the year sixty three and died in the year one hundred one. And this statement contains a number of points. The Shaykh divides it into three parts. The first important point in the statement of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz is the obligation of stopping where the people before stopped, meaning the salaf, the sahaba and the Tabi'in. Stopping where they stopping meaning stopping upon the Sunnah of the Prophet and his companions whether in matters of belief, aqidah, or in actions, deeds. Because the limits that they stopped upon and didn't go beyond, it was based on their knowledge and based on their clear insight into what was really from the deen and what was not from it. And they didn't go outside of the deen. If there was something good in what the people invented later, then the sahaba would have been more capable of detecting that good and they had more right to practice it. The second point is whatever has been invented by those who came after the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, it is no more than a contradiction to the guidance of the Prophet and it is no more than falling short from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. either it is going beyond what the Prophet left or it is falling short of his sunnah and the sunnah of his companions For verily they have described the Deen in detail and they have spoken about it in detail leaving behind whatever instructions were necessary in order for us to practice the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in its perfect form and the third point is that Umar Ibn Abdul Aziz mentioned that there were people two groups of people, those who fell short from following the way of the Prophet and those who went beyond the bounds, went to the extremes, going beyond what they left behind and both of these extremes are rejected al-ghulu and al-taqfir, those who go to the extreme and those who fall short, they are both rejected and this is similar, the statement of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz is similar to the statement of the great Imam Abu Jafar Al-Tahawi in his book Al-Aqidah al the last point in that book Imam Al-Tahawi says that the deen of Allah in the earth and in the heavens is only one deen and it is the meaning of Islam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that verily really the deen with Allah the one and only deen with Allah is Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I am pleased to uh, point for you Islam as your deen then al-imam al-tahawi closes this point by saying that that deen the one deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is pleased with it الْغُلُوَّ الْتَقْفِيرُ al-imam al-tahawi says it is between going to the extreme of going beyond the bounds and the other deviation of falling short of falling short and then he gave examples of these two extremes those who went beyond the bounds and those who fell short in some deviations of the previous uh, groups of the Muslims Imam al-Tahawi mentioned يَعَنِي yani, بَيْنَ التَّشْبِيهِ وَبَيْنَ الْجَبْرِ وَالْقَدْرِ وَبَيْنَ الْأَمْنِ that is between the extremes in the matters of the sifat of Allah al-tashbih, those who made comparisons between Allah's characteristics and the characteristics of human beings and those who negated Allah's characteristics, not accepting them. Both of these are extremes. To accept it but to compare it to the human, human creatures is false. And to negate it because you think that it would be comparing to human creatures, this is also false. Both of these are deviations. And in the matter of divine decree, al-Qadr al-Qadr, the jabr and the qadr, the jabariya, they said that the human being has no free will, that's wrong. And the Qadariah said the human being has absolute free will and Allah has no control of him, that's also wrong. Both of these are extremes. In the third example he gave Dain al amni those who uh, feel that they are secure from the wrath of Allah that they are so good that they have do, done so much good deeds that they are guaranteed to paradise and they will not be punished from Allah and this is an extreme that's unacceptable no one should feel safe yani, as though they have no shortcomings because everyone human being has fallen short in the obligations to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the other extreme is al ال- the one who did bad deeds and they gave up hope of Allah's mercy. They have no hope of Allah. They feel that they are doomed and there is no chance for them. Whereas Allah's mercy overcomes His wrath. And whoever has belief in Allah and has faith in Allah, no matter what they did, if they return to Allah in repentance, there is hope of Allah's mercy. So this also, these two extremes are also rejected. Then uh, the third statement that al Imam Ibn Qudama, Rahimahullah, mentions, point number 9, from the third generation of the Muslims, that is, the students of the students of Sahaba, he mentions the statement of al-Imam Abu Amr al-Awza'i that it is obligatory on you to follow the example and the way and that which was left behind by those who were before you, those who preceded you, the Salaf, the Sahaba and the Tabi'in. Even if the people reject you and avoid you for doing so. And it is obligatory on you to follow way of Sahaba, the Sunnah of the Prophet and his companions. Even if by following that Sunnah, the people avoid you, the people reject you, the people don't like you. Nonetheless, you should follow the Sunnah because this is the way to success. وَإِيَّاكَ وَأَرَاءَ الرِّجَالِ وَإِن ذَخْرَفُهُ لَكَ بِالْقَوْلِ And it is also an incumbent for you to be aware or to beware of and to avoid the opinions of people, the opinions of men Yani the uh, baseless opinions that are not based on the Qur'an and Sunnah Yani the pure uh, opinions that are not based on Qur'an and Sunnah, we should also avoid them Even if the people beautify them by their speech or make them seem attractive to you uh, concerning this, the Prophet ﷺ said, خير أمتي قرني ثم الذين يلونهم ثم الذين يلونهم خير أمتي قرني. The best of my ummah is my generation. The best of the Muslim ummah until the Day of Resurrection, will never be a generation better than the first generation, that is, the Sahaba. ثم الذين يلونهم then those who came after them, that is, the Tabi'un, students of Sahaba. ثم الذين يلونهم than those who came after the tabi'een that is Abda Tabiim or Tabiy the students of the students of Sahaba. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned three generations. Karni, my generation, then those who came after them, then those who came after them. And the scholars of the Ahlassul jamaah say that these three generations are the preferred generations they are the ones that the Prophet gave verification and confirmation of their righteousness and that Allah was pleased with them and that they were the best of the Muslim Ummah, and they are the ones that we should follow. Whoever opposes their way, then they have indeed gone away from the Sunnah. In this hadith, it is mentioned by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Imran ibn Hussein Rabi Anhu. Here the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salah Al-Taymin, concerning the statement of imam Al-Awza'i who was also one of the great Imams of Fiqh from al from the area of the world where there is Syria and Jordan and Palestine From that area of the world, Al-Imam Al-Awza'i he was one of the great Imams of that time, he was in the time of imam Malik, he died in the year 157 and he was an Imam in his own right except that he didn't leave behind many followers who recorded his sayings, therefore he doesn't have a school of fiqh that is known as the Hanafi and the Maliki and Shafi and Hanbali school. But he was an imam equal to those imams, uh, if not greater than some of them. And Allah knows death. Uh And here we see that the imams of fiqh didn't limit themselves to fiqh but they also discussed the matters of the utmost importance the usul of the deen that is the aqidah or the pre or the islamic belief system and how we should follow the deen and how we should accept it here the shaykh mentions concerning this point uh, or the statement of al-imam al-awza'i he says that he is al-awza'i Abdurrahman rahman ibn Amr who died in the year 157 and his statement alayka that it is incumbent upon you to follow that which was left behind by those who preceded you He says that it is incumbent to follow the way of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een who followed them in righteousness because their way it was based upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah It's not incumbent to follow them for any reason other than that the Prophet ﷺ confirmed that they were those who would follow the Quran and Sunnah. And this has been mentioned in a number of hadith, amongst them is the hadith of the splitting up of the Muslim Ummah, as the Prophet ﷺ said that the Christians would be the Jews would be divided into seventy one sects, and the Christians would be divided into seventy two sects, and my ummah would be divided into seventy three Kulluha all of them would be in the Failla Wahidah. And all of them may be punished due to their deviation, Allah may forgive them, but they they deserve to be punished for their deviation. All of them deserve to be punished in the fire, except one. Illa And when they asked which one is that, he said, Al Jama'ah. That is the Jamaa, the group the group who followed the first Jama'ah, the Sahaba. And in one hadith the Prophet when he, when he was asked what is Al Jama'ah he said, ana alayhi al ashabi that which I and my companions are upon today. This is Al Jamaah and this is the uh, group that would be saved from the fire and this is the group that should be followed it is those who follow the way of the companions of the Prophet Uh, then the Sheikh said that you should follow their way even if the people reject you even if the people stay far away from you and avoid you still you should follow their way and you should avoid the opinions of men meaning you should avoid the opinions of men which are mere opinions that don't have any basis in the Book of Allah and in the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah avoid those opinions no matter who they may be if some people say but we follow one Imam Imam Malik is our Imam and we only follow what he say we follow Imam Malik and we follow Imam Shafi and we follow Imam Abu Hanifa and we follow Imam Ahmed and we follow all of them as long as what they called us to is correct based on Quran and Sunnah but if they erred in anything they are men and they don't have a divine right to be followed but the only one who Allah orders to follow without exception it is the Messenger of Allah but the opinions of any Imam, any Shaykh, any scholar, any person if their opinion is simply their opinion and it doesn't have a base in the Quran and Sunnah then we should avoid it at all costs. even if their speech is attractive and beautiful and as the Prophet said some speech is Sihr it is like magic, when some people, they have the ability to speak in such a way that when you hear them speak, they mesmerize you. Even if their speech is attractive, if it is not based on Quran and Sunnah, it should be avoided. Then Al Imam Ibn Qudamah says in point number 10, uh, the statement of one of the scholars who lived in the same time as Imam Ahmed Ibn Hanbal. Uh, he is Abu Abdul Rahman, Abdullah Ibn Muhammad Ibn Ishaq, Al Azrami, but here in the book his name was recorded incorrectly as Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al Azrami. In any case, uh, it has been verified that it was instead of Azrami, his name is Azrami, which we put in the footnote here. Uh, it should be in the footnote his correct full name, Abu Abdurrahman, Muhammad ibn Ishaq al Azrami. In any case, Ibn Qudama mentions concerning this scholar who narrated from some of the great scholars of the of Muslims Waqiyah and Ibn and Ibn mahdi and those who narrated from him include Al-Imam al-Nasai and Al-Imam Abu Dawood and he was verified or confirmed as a good narrator and a great scholar by Abu Hatim and Al-Imam al-Nasai, one of his students. قَالَ محمد بن عبد الرحمن Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Azrami said to a man who was speaking about an innovation and he was also calling the people to that innovation. He argued and debated him in front of the Khalifa of that time, Al-Wasiq Billah, Harun ibn Muhammad ibn Rahun ibn Harun al-Rashid. He argued and debated that person of the people of Bid'ah. His name was Ahmed ibn Faraj al-Basari al-Jahmi. He was from the Jahmiya sect those people who negated the names of Allah and the characters of Allah. Uh, he said to him, <coughs> in debating him, هَلْ عَلِمَهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَأَبُوْ بَكْرُ وَعُمَرُ And he did the messenger of Allah and Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman, and Ali, radiAllahu anhu وَعَجْمَعِينَ Did they know about that which you are calling people to? The innovation that he was calling people is created. He the beef of that the Qur'an is kalamullah The Qur'an is the speech of Allah and is not created. Just like the other characteristics or of sifat of Allah are not created, It's so also Allah's speech is not created. It is one of the characteristics of Allah. And the characteristics of Allah are not created. So the Qur'an, which is the speech of Allah, it is not created. Those people at that time tried to claim that the Qur'an was created. So he asked him, did the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Uthman Know about that which you are saying and that which you are calling to or لم يعلموها or they didn't know about it He answered, Qala, لم يعلموها They didn't know about it Then the Shaykh said to him Abu Abu Abdul Ab- Ab- Rahman, Abdul Muhammad, Al Azrami He said to him فشيء لم يعلمه هؤلاء أعلمته Anta? There's something that those, that is the Rasulullah didn't know about, but you know about it? And who are you to know something Rasulullah Allah doesn't know about? Qala rajul fa-inni he changed his mind. He said, then I say, qad alimuha, then they know about it then. He changed his mind. The shaykh was getting him to reach the point where he wants to refute him and silence him. Qala, an la bihi, وَلَا يَدْعُوَ النَّاسِ إِلَيْهِ أَمْ, لا أو أم لَمْ يَسَعَهُمْ يعني He said to him, was it possible that they, that is the Prophet and his companions, that they would have been sufficed in not speaking about it, and not calling people to it? Was it possible that they knew about it, now since you claim they knew about it, is it possible that they knew about it, and yet they didn't talk about it, and they didn't call people to it? Because we know the Prophet وسلم never said such a thing that the Qur'an is created, nor did he call people to such a thing. So he said, it Is it possible? That they knew about it, but they didn't speak about it and they didn't call people to it. He said, Yes, it is possible. Rasulullah sallallahu wa La yasa ka I mean something that was possible, it was sufficient for the messenger of Allah and his rightly to know about it, and yet they didn't speak about it, and they didn't call people to it, but yet it's not sufficient for you to remain silent as they did. And the man said, or he said, At that point the man was, yani, silent, he couldn't answer. Because after he admitted, according to him, that they knew about it, and he admitted that they didn't speak about it, because there's no record of them calling to it or speaking about it, then he said, then, if it was sufficient for them not to speak about it, and not to call people to it, how is it not sufficient for you to remain silent as they remain silent? So he was silent. He made dua against that man that was the Khalifa, he made dua against that man after hearing this debate, saying, may Allah not suffice, whoever is not satisfied. With what they, that is the Messenger of Allah wa and His companions, found sufficient. Yani may Allah make you yani not to be sufficed if you are of those who are not satisfied by what the Messenger of Allah alayhi wa sallam and His companions were satisfied with. And this is the point for us to remember in the matters of innovation that whatever was sufficient for the Messenger of Allah alayhi wa and His companions, that was sufficient for us. There is no need for us to go beyond. What they were upon, so that man he left his innovation and calling, and, and he left calling to that innovation. Then Imam Ibn qudam in the last point, point number eleven says, "Wahabka man lam Yasahu, ma wasaah Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم رآسحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان ولا إمته من بعدهم والراصخين في العلم من تلاوة آيات الصفات." وَقِرَاعَةِ أَخْبَارِهَا وَإِمْرَارِهَا إمرارها كَمَا جَأَتْ فَلَا وَسَّعَ اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ And here he closed by saying likewise, may Allah not suffice, whoever is not suffice, by what suffice the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. Meaning, may Allah not make sufficient for you. If you are not satisfied with what the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was satisfied with and what his companions were satisfied with and those who came after them and followed them in righteousness were satisfied with and the Imams who came after them and the Rasikhunat al they were satisfied with what came in the Quran and in the Sunnah and not going beyond that they all found sufficiency in At-Tilawa tilawa reciting of the verses pertaining to Allah's divine characteristics and qualities and reading the reports from hadith concerning Allah's tifat it sufficed them to read the Quran and to read the hadith or hear the hadith of the Prophet where the sifat or the characteristics of Allah are mentioned and it was sufficient for them to uh, accept them on face value just as they were transmitted without reinterpreting them, without adding to them or taking anything from them. Whoever is not sufficed by this then may Allah make him insufficient and unsatisfied. Here the Shaykh briefly uh, mentions on on these last points um, some commentary where he says, the important thing here is for us to know the levels or the stages of this debate, so that we may also benefit from the methodology or the manner that the Imam Abi Abdurrahman Abdullah ibn Muhammad ibn Ishaq al-Azrami Rahimullah, used in his debate against the Ahl-Bid'ah. We should know what were the stages that he used in that, so that we may also benefit from the use of the same methodology. He says that Imam al-Azrami, rahimahullah, in his debate uh, passed over a number of different levels or stages, one by one, in order to defeat his yani, opponent. In the first level was ilm or knowledge. He asked him, was this innovation, and we may ask them about what they are practicing or what they are saying or what they are believing that was not from the Quran, so we may ask them likewise. Was this thing that you are saying, or doing, or calling to or believing in, was it known to the Prophet ﷺ and the rightly guided khalifas and Sahaba and those who followed their way? If he says, as did the opponent of the Imam, if he says they didn't know it, then his negation of them having any knowledge, saying that they didn't have a knowledge, it is showing a defect in the Prophet companions. And this is a proof against him. Whoever claims that the Prophet ﷺ's knowledge was defective, this is a proof against him and an indication of his going astray. When he said so, then uh, the Imam argued against him in the next day saying, If they didn't know so, how is it that you, who are you to know what the Messenger of Allah ﷺ didn't know? That is is it possible that Allah would prevent it his Messenger Muhammad from from knowledge and then giving it to some insignificant people who came after he prevented the messenger of Allah from knowing it and he prevented the Khulaf al-Rashidin from knowing it and it is a matter of the Sharia and a matter that the Muslims need to know yet he allowed someone to come to know about it afterwards in that case the person if they have any intellect they would clearly deny their previous statement and admit that in fact then the Messenger of Allah must have known so. At that point, he argued on the third level. He said, Then if they knew so, if the Messenger of Allah wa knew so, is it possible that he knew about it? And was it sufficient for him knowing about it yet not speaking about it nor calling people to it? And he said, Yes, it was sufficient because he would have to admit that the Prophet wa didn't speak about it and he didn't call any people to that bid'ah that he is calling people to. And if he admitted so, then the argument against him is, if it was sufficient for the Prophet ﷺ, not to speak about it, and not to call to it, and not to practice it in front of the people, then it should also be sufficient for you. And this was the methodology of Imam Al-Azrami rahimahullah, in defeating the people of bidah. Uh, the last point that the Sheikh mentions here, concerning uh, this matter, he says, as we already and mentioned, but he says that the innovation that was, uh, that was debated over, it was the innovation or the claim that the Quran is created. And it was a great fitner in a trial for the Muslims of that time. Many of the leaders of the Muslims were tested in trial and Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal amongst them, who was the leader of the Muslims of his time, he was threatened with death and he was imprisoned and by Allah's mercy he escaped uh, from that trial and he was eventually released from prison without being killed but he didn't turn back but he stood his grounds and refused he refused the orders of the uh, rulers of that time he refused to, to admit or to accept their claim that the Qur'an was created but he stood his grounds until he was eventually released from prison also he mentions here that the one who was debated in this argument, the person the, the person, the innovator, he was someone by the name of Ahmed ibn Abi Dawood. He was a, 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 one of the big judges of his time, Abu Abdullah, Ahmed ibn Farj, uh, Al-Basri, Al-Bagdadi, Al-Jahmi. He was from the Jahmiya people and he was one of the enemies of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanba, And he was one of the people who called to the idea of creation of the Quran. And he had a high place amongst the rulers of his time. And when Imam Ahmed was called and persecuted and ordered to admit to the creation of the Quran, that man who was defeated in this debate, he told the leader of the Muslims, kill him, for he is dal mudil. He is astray and he is leading people astray. That's what he said about Imam Ahmed. But Alhamdulillah, the truth. Uh, came forth and he was defeated in that debate and the Khalifa of the Muslims at that time after seeing that he was defeated in that debate stopped persecuting the people and he stopped calling to this false idea of creation of the Quran and this is what we wanted to mention today this is the end of of the chapter concerning the uh, encouragement to follow the Sunnah and the warning against following innovation I think with this uh, paper there should be some questions at the end. I don't know how much time is left. Inshallah, perhaps we can quickly try to answer these questions. Uh, I think we have a few minutes, huh? five minutes or so. Uh, the questions, which Inshallah we will try to uh, continue as we did in the past by uh, presenting some questions with which each with, with each uh, lecture, so that we may review the questions. Uh, lecture by lecture, before the end of the course, and before the time of exam. The first question, what is the meaning of the statement of Ibn Mas'ud, of Abdul Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, Verily you have been sufficed. What is the meaning of the statement of Abdul Ibn Mas'ud? He said, follow strictly the sunnah without addition or subtraction, and do not innovate in the religion. Verily you have been sufficed. What is the meaning here of the statement of Abdul al-Mas'ud, where you have been sufficed. What does he mean by this? The answer to this question, he means that you should strictly follow the sunnah and not bring anything new. There is no need for you to complete or perfect the deen. The job has been done before your time. Allah perfected the deen. Today I have perfected and completed for you your deen. So there is no need for us to make any changes in the deen of Allah claiming that we are in modern times or that there is different circumstances but Allah's deen is perfected. We have been sufficed. Allah didn't require of us to make any which He had to add to the deen or to correct it or to perfect it or to do anything with it. But it is simply sufficient for us to leave it as it is. The second question, is it possible that there be some merit or virtue outside of the sunnah? Explain. And is it possible that there is something good that is outside of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and again by Sunnah we mean التارسة. We don't mean the Sunnah, that which is not wajib, we mean the way of the Prophet ﷺ, the deen, as it was practiced in action and in belief. by the messenger of Allah Is it possible that there can be something good outside of the Sunnah? Obviously no, obviously it's not possible uh, because Allah perfected the being and the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi told us to hold fast to my sunnah. There is no need to go beyond it. And if there is anything outside of it, it is really inventive it is bid'ah. And every bid'ah is astray. So there is, whatever bid'ah, even if it appears to be good to our intellect and our mind, our rationale, know for sure that kullu bidatin dalala. Every single bid'ah is dalala, it is astray. There is no good in it at all. The next question explain the saying of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz Rahimahullah. indeed they the companions were between these two deviations. Yani between these two deviations the deviation of those who went to the extreme beyond the Sunnah and those who fell short left off some of the sunnah. Diani indeed they that is the companions were between these two deviations. They were upon Huda, guidance, mustaqim, straight and upright. What is the meaning of this saying of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz? Ram it means moderation, they were on the middle path, the deen of Islam is the middle path and the Muslims are the middle nation, between any deviation, going to the extreme or falling short. We don't take anything that is outside of the sharia, outside of the sunnah, uh, nor do we leave off anything that is in the sharia, and the sunnah of the prophet, but we practice it all, we take the whole of the deen, not part of it that is pleasing to us. Leaving off any of it, or adding anything to it, both of these are extremes, but we are the moderate, the middle Ummah. Al-Ummah, al-Waqtita. Also, what does Imam al-Awza'i, rahimahullah, mean when he says, Beware of the opinions of men, even if they beautify it and make it attractive for you with their speech. And beware of the opinions of men, what does he mean by this? What about the opinions of our scholars? What does he mean by the opinions of men? The meaning of beware of the opinions of men, it means beware of the sayings, or the practices, or the statements, or the beliefs that are not based on the Quran and Sunnah, but they are mere opinions that someone has derived from his intellect or his own istihad without basing it upon evidence from the Quran and Sunnah. But the opinions of the scholars, that are based on evidence from Qur'an and Sunnah, we may follow them. We follow the opinions of imam Abu Hanifa, that's based on Qur'an and Sunnah. We follow the opinion of Imam Malik, that's based on Qur'an and Sunnah. But we don't follow the opinions of anyone, whoever they may be, those who passed away, those who are living today. If there is no basis in the Qur'an and Sunnah, if it is a mere opinion of a man, we don't follow it. This is the meaning of beware of the opinions of men, meaning those opinions that have no base in the Qur'an and Sunnah. What was the method used by al adra al Azrami Rahimahullah to refute the innovator in his time? And in brief, his methodology or his manner in refuting him, the method that he used to refute him was to make him admit that in stages though and make him admit that the Prophet sallallahu and his companions who were the best of this Ummah the Khulaf al-Rashidin, the Sahaba and those who follow their way was to make him to admit that they didn't speak about that thing that he is speaking about nor did they call to it nor did they practice it. If, they will be, if we can make them to admit that for example celebrating the Prophet's birthday that it wasn't practiced by the Prophet Sallallahu nor his sahaba this is the way to silence them because once they admit that it was not practiced by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he didn't speak about it, he didn't call to it nor did his companions do it nor call to it or speak about it then this will be an admission for him that it is something that uh, it has no benefit and it has no virtue and it has no merit. Because how can it be something good that we came to know today but it wasn't known to the best of the ummah, to the companions of the Prophet and those who came after them, Khayra Ummati Karani the best of my ummah is my generation, and then those who follow them, and then those who follow them. And the last question what was the innovation that Al Azrami, Rahaimullah, refuted? It was the innovation that the Qur'an is created. It was an innovation in Aqeedah. And this is also important for us to keep in mind that innovations are not only in Ibadah. It's not only an act of worship, but innovations are also in beliefs. The innovations of the Qadariyyah the innovations of the Jabariya, the Jahmiya, the Mu'atazila, the ashariya all of these groups that we studied previously in Aqidah Tahaweyyah, in the last points of the end of the aqeedah Tahaweyyah, all of those are innovations in Aqidah, they are all innovations in Aqidah. So the innovations that we normally hear about are innovations in worship, but innovations are not limited to worship, they are also innovations in Aqidah. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashhadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka or to the lake. If there are any comments or questions uh, or corrections before we leave, perhaps the land has not been called, huh? So we have time for questions. Did the sisters have uh, any questions or any comments or corrections? Your brothers, it's your chance then. Sisters have no questions. Okay, inshallah, uh, in the next. Um, In the next lectures, we will go to the next section. It is uh, a number, not all, but some of the verses of the Qur'an that deal with uh, the Sifat, the names of Allah and Sifat, the characteristics of Allah and His names that are mentioned in the Qur'an. The first, the next chapter that we will deal with is the verses of Qur'an, mention the Sifat of Allah. After that, will be the chapter concerning some of the hadith of the Prophet that deal with the Sifat of Allah. Uh, the chapter of the ayahs that deal with Sifat of Allah, he mentions uh, nine Sifat I want to give an assignment. Don't go. Just quickly, uh, whoever is able, <coughs> between now and the next class, <coughs> we're going to talk about the some of the some of the, of the Qur'an that deal with the sifat or the characteristics or qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and whoever is able to find some of those verses from the Qur'an uh, before the next class uh, the sifat nine characteristics which he mentioned al wajh that Allah has a face al-yadan, that Allah has two hands, and nafs the self al maji coming al rida pleasure al Mahabba, love al-ghadab, anger al-sakhat displeasure, al-qira'ah, uh, detesting something. Whoever can find uh, any of these sifat or other sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran for the next class inshallah we will start to cover these particular characteristics. The first one, the face. The second one, two hands. The third one, the self. The fourth one, the coming, al The fifth one, pleasure. The 6th one, love, the 7th one, anger, the 8th one, displeasure, the ninth one, hating or detesting something. Insha'Allah, in uh, next class we will start to cover these, some of them, if not all of them, perhaps not all of them. Uh, trying to find some of them in the Qur'an and Allah, characteristics that are mentioned for Allah in the Qur'an. Whatever Allah mentioned about himself in the Quran, we confirm without making comparison or tashbih between Allah's characteristics and the characteristics of the human beings. Okay, inshallah, we, we can end with this um, and go for prayer, except that uh, if anyone uh, has any final question, along with the question of the sisters, otherwise we are finished. wa khair. Is bid'ah worse than haram? That is, do you earn much more sin for doing bid'ah than for doing haram? Bid'ah is haram. <laughs> yani that which is haram is what Allah has forbidden. And the things that Allah has forbidden are many. One of the things that Allah forbid is bid'ah. Bid'ah is haram. And the Sheikh Muhammad himself, in his commentary, said that in his definition of bid'ah, the linguistic and technical definition, he also said what is the ruling concerning bid'ah? That it is haram. Bid'ah is haram. Uh, do you get more sin for doing bid'ah than other harams? It depends on which haram you are doing. <laughs> there is some bid'ah which is mufassaka it is يعني, sinful and there is some bid'ah which is mukafara which is kufra so it depends which bid'ah it is. In any case, bid'ah is one of the worst of those things that are haram, especially if it is the bid'ah that is kufr. But even the one that is not kufr, because usually the one who steals, he knows that it's haram. And he might feel bad and repent. The one who commits adultery or fornication, they know it's haram. And they might regret what they have done, they might turn back to Allah and repent. But the one who does bid'ah thinks they are doing good. They think they are worshipping Allah and giving rewards. So they will not repent. They will not turn back. So it is in that sense worse than other sins. Because at least from sins you may repent. But from bidah you won't repent. Unless the person comes to know that they have went astray. And, and abandon that bidah and come back to the sunnah. Uh, second question also on the other side. The people who thought they were so good that they deserved Jannah. That is, when you are talking about doing to extremes. Did they think this in their mind or were they telling other people this? And the other extreme, lost hope of Allah's mercy what was the sin they were committing, feeling it or feeling it or saying it? Uh, The people, anyone, whoever it may be whether they said it to others or they had it in their mind al amru is unacceptable for a Muslim to feel so confident and safe and secure from the punishment of Allah. No one is safe and secure from the punishment of Allah. Actually Al-Amnu, it is forbidden for a Muslim to feel that they have done anything for which they are guaranteed paradise and that they will never be punished by Allah. There is no such person. The Prophet Sallallahu he said when he uh, said no one will enter paradise by their deeds, they said, and, and what about you? He said, not even me, unless Allah covers me with his Fadl and his rahmah. The Prophet of Allah said, unless Allah covers me with his Fadl, his bounty, his favor, that he gives freely, not that we earned it, and his rahmah, that he forgives us our shortcomings. So what about anyone after that? So no one, no Muslim can say that they have security and safety from the punishment of Allah. And for those who, who lost hope from Allah's mercy, the sins they were committing, was it, feeling it or saying it, whatever. Uh, Whoever, lose hope from Allah's mercy due to whatever sins they have committed, it is wrong. The disbelievers are the only ones who gave up hope of Allah's mercy. It is disbelief to give up hope from Allah's mercy. It is a form of kufr, it is a characteristic of the kufar. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, that only the disbelievers give up hope of Allah's mercy. Because the believer knows that no matter what they do. If they turn back to Allah, in sincere repentance, Allah will forgive them. The man who killed 99 people. And he wanted to repent. He Even after killing 99 people, he wanted to repent. And he went to the monk and he asked him, what is, is there any repentance And He said no. Then he killed him. And he went on killing. Then he reached the scholar and he asked him is there repentance for me? And he said yes, as long as you are alive, there is repentance for you. But leave the land that you are in and go to the land of the people who are worshiping Allah alone. And on the way to that land, Allah took his soul and the angels came to judge. Those who the angels of punishment wanted to punish him and the angels of mercy wanted to have mercy on him. And Allah sent a judge between them. And he said the judgment was whichever land he is closer to, he will go to that. If he is closer to the land of the people who are worshiping Allah, then he would be taken by the angel of mercy to be resurrected with the people who worshipped Allah and if he was close to the people of sin that he had left then the angel of punishment would take him and he would be punished with the people of sin who he left from and Allah caused the earth to shrink so that he became closer to the people who were worshipping Allah alone and the angel of mercy took him and Allah and his mercy and he reached him so uh, no one of us has killed 99 people one hundred people, so that we have no hope from Allah's mercy. However, no matter what, whatever we have done, we should have hope of Allah's mercy. The believer knows that Allah's mercy overcomes His wrath. His mercy is greater than His wrath. Therefore we have hope for Allah's mercy no matter what we have done, but we don't bank on it. We don't say, well Allah's mercy is great, keep sinning, do as much as we like, Allah will have mercy on us. No. But if we commit sins, then we feel that Allah's mercy may reach us and we turn to Him in repentance and we try to correct ourselves and we try to improve ourselves. And whoever sincerely thanks Allah, Allah will have mercy on them. wa bihamdika shalallah ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa